So this morning, I want to continue with the story or the prophet of Elijah that we've been following a little bit in the footsteps of Elijah. And this morning, we're going to, we're going to continue in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. It might be the last time we look at Elijah for a little while, but it, it, it may not be. Um, but 1 Kings 19 is a remarkable story. And I, uh, I hope, I pray by God's help that I can do it justice in sharing with you uh, what's on my heart when it comes to this story. But I've got some great news for you this morning. I've got some wonderful news uh, for you this morning. For those of you that are seeking God this morning, I've got some wonderful news. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, if you're seeking God this morning, I've got some great news. And this is the great news, that God is out to get you. There you go. God is out to get you. And that is actually a really, really positive thing. Who can imagine that the God of this universe, the God of creation, looks upon you and says, I'm out to get you. That's a, that's a remarkable thing. Goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our lives. And God, his intention and in his heart is to get to his creation, to do what he can to get to his creation. And we've seen that in the life of Elijah. And we've seen the story and how it's unfolded in different people's lives. God is out to get you. That should be comforting and reassuring and it should bring hope into your life. But God, God, because God doesn't abandon us. He's out following after us to get us. And this is a remarkable story. This is a remarkable story of how God is working in the heart of Elijah. And God is doing things so he can reach out and get us more, if you like, more than perhaps even miracles can even do. Something more than the capacity for signs and wonders to accomplish. Sometimes signs and wonders have this temporary, temporary effect where we look at them and we think, wow, look at God. And then no sooner is the sign and wonder gone, uh, our faith is gone. Look at the Israelites. You know, you, you, you'll be seeing as you've been studying on, on Thursday nights with, with, as they travel through and they get to the Red Sea and, and, and they see the miracle of God. And then afterwards, you see in the wilderness, they go back to an unbelief. They've seen the waters part. And it's incredible how the heart of men and women can see signs and wonders and miracles. And yet no sooner has all this happened and finished and settled down and the dust has settled, there is this creeping in of, of doubt again and unbelief. And yet God is out to get you in a way that even be, that sort of beyond or deeper than what miracles can accomplish in your life. You know, it's like a, like, it's like a vaccine for COVID. You know, if, if God came down and said to everyone, hey, here, here's the vaccine for COVID. And everyone's like, yeah, there's a vaccine for COVID. And, all that, and, and I might say, yeah, thank you, God. God is so good. How wonderful is God? And then, then no sooner, or once everything is settled, everyone's back to normal, not wanting God, rejecting God, hating God. Why did God do this? How can God allow that? Because that's the nature of man. But God is out to get you. He's out to get you in a way that's far deeper, more concrete than just the things that you might externally see. And he's doing this in the life of Elijah as well. In fact, it's actually quite a remarkable story because what God is trying to do, he's trying to capture Elijah's heart and reassure Elijah that he is with him and he is for him. Can you imagine if God comes out to get you and, and, and is able to, far greater than the signs and wonders, is able to um, uh, assure you, confirm for you that he is with you and that he is for you. This, I believe, goes far deeper than any miracle you can witness. 
a belief that says God is with me and God is for me. That, I believe, begins the, the real growth, the real strength of the Christian life. Elijah is this story that we're going about to um, uh, about Elijah is about a story about this part of the Bible is a story about a man who flees, who runs away because of fear. Despite what he has just seen, the great miracle of God when he poured down fire to burn the sacrifice, that he runs out of fear, he runs away out of fear, and as a result of a few things, finds himself in this deep, depressive hole. And he's got to get out of it. He's overwhelmed by a sense of depression and sadness and hopelessness and fear. And, he, and he's got to somehow find a way out of it. But God knows it's going to be hard for him, even with signs and wonders. So God comes to him and wants to confirm for him, Elijah, I am with you and I am for you. And in doing so, God brings about a comfort. He, he, but at the same time, he confronts him. And in doing so, he's able to equip him to continue to do the work that he needs to do. And this morning, I pray that you may find the same experience of God speaking into your life. Because this is what requires faith. Faith requires us to be able to know that God is with us and God is for us. And sometimes when we speak, we can speak with words that are either, either with faith or the same words we might speak without faith. You know, when you share with someone about your maybe a difficulty with your job or a difficulty with your children or a difficulty with your health, you know, you can share that same story in, in, a, in, a, in an experience of faith or you can say the same story without faith. And they'll come out very, very differently. And sometimes our, our experience in life is that we may start sharing that story with our faith and God works in our hearts and God works in our lives. So he establishes the faith in us that we need to deal with this situation. I want to encourage you this morning that God is out to get you. And in doing so, yes, he will comfort, but he may confront and he may do this so that he can equip you and strengthen this faith in you. It's like take, for example, the problem of sin in your life. You might, for example, get to a place where you're so discouraged by the sin in your life that it gets you to a place where you feel like you just can't do anything else about it. In fact, sin may have its work and grip on you to brings you to a place of depression because you feel there's no way out. Even in that situation, God wants to demonstrate himself to you, that he is with you and that he is for you. Because even in that, yes, you should be disgusted by your sin. But even in that, God wants to work in a way that bring about repentance in your heart and for once and for all, deal with the issue, knowing it has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus and overcome by the Spirit of God. Even that, God wants to restore this faith in you. So we're going to read a story about a man who found himself in this hole and, and God is working what he needs to work to, again, comfort him, yes, confront him, yes, but equip him again. And I pray that you're encouraged uh, by this as well too. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit that comes to convict us of sin, 
of judgment and of righteousness. When Jesus left, he came and brought his Holy Spirit. And today his Holy Spirit is at work. And his Holy Spirit will come and convict us. Yes, he'll convict us of sin and judgment of righteousness. But when he does that, he has the ability, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, to transform us and to restore us and to make us like the Son of God. How precious the work of God's Spirit. How precious among us the Spirit of God. I'm here in my place. You're in your place. But the same Spirit is working, speaking into your life. You're not far from God. The Spirit of God. God wants to work because God is out to get you. Let's read this story. I want to read it, um, if that's okay, I'd like to read it, in the whole passage that, that I want to read because I think I'd like us to capture what's going on here and then I want to go back and just share some thoughts on some of the verses uh, from this passage. So 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Now you know that uh, this great miracle of the sacrifices has just finished or has finished. Um, uh, Elijah has ran ahead of Ahab to Jezreel and we pick it up in verse 1. And and Ahab told Jezebel, that's his wife, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. And now he's alone, yeah? Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. It is enough. Now, now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and they seek to take my life. And then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice, or possibly even breeze. And so it was when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have taken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and I seek to take my life. 
And then the Lord said to him, Go and turn your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Thank you for your patience. It was a fairly long text, but I wanted you to hear that in its context. I wanted you to hear the entirety from when Elijah first heard the message from Jezebel. Running away, feeling depressed, wanting his life to end, and God coming, comforting, confronting, and equipping him. Remarkable story. It's a remarkable story because you first, one of the first things you think to yourself is, Elijah? Don't you cross, doesn't that cross your mind? Surely not Elijah. Surely the prophet of God, the man who, who the ravens fed him, the man who, who, who saw the oil never run out and the flour never run out for the widow, the man who restored the life of the, the health of the boy, of the widow, the man who, who destroyed the baals with a great fire that came down in a moment, surely not Elijah. Surely he, out of all people, should have known that God is with him and God is for him. It's like when, a, it's like when someone surprises you for something that they do and you think to yourself, wow, did they really do that? Or like at school, you know, like you know, kids who are at school, you know, when you've got a really, really good student and then that really, really good student gets into trouble and you think, oh, he got into trouble? Him? He's always, you know, he's always good. And so you look at the story of Elijah and you, and, and you look at him as like the good student and, and you think, and you're surprised because, because how did he fall into this state of depression and, and, and experience in life? You know, out of all people, surely not Elijah. But listen, the Bible is very, very honest and very open about our experiences and our bad emotions because they're real. And Elijah, the Bible says, was a man like us, with a nature like us. Why wouldn't he have experienced this? Why wouldn't this have been his experience from time to time? Isn't it our experience from time to time? Isn't it normal for us to have a whole range of emotions that sometimes we feel like we can't control? Isn't that your experience? Surely, I know it's my experience. You know, sometimes you wake up in the morning, you're feeling on top of the world, like you're going to conquer life. And then by the end of the day, you want to just give up. It's all too much. How in a day has your emotion gone from up here to down there? In a day, let alone in an hour or in a minute, this is life. This is our experience in life. And what God is doing is he's revealing a lot of things about Elijah. But one of the things I believe God is revealing is how life is, how we live life. And what God is trying to reveal to Elijah, it's, it's, it's greater than miracles. It's greater than signs and wonders. It's greater than all the things that you might be able to see outwardly. There is this quiet rest and trust that says with peace in our hearts, God is with me and God is for me. And that, boom, smashes all the miracles that could ever happen in your life. This deep, rested conviction, a conviction of rest that says that God is for me. It's like when a child is scared in their bedroom. And, and it may not be a real fear. It's just a perceived fear. And the parent comes into that room. It's no help to the child. It's no help to the child to go and put a massive big lock on the door or, or a massive plank of wood across the door so no monsters can get in or, or, or a big metal sheet outside the window so no one, no strangers get in. It's no help to the child. The child is still going to feel fear. But when the parent sits by them, lays by them, something happens to the child. There is this deep rest that my dad or my mum 
is with me and for me. Far greater than any bolt on the door, plank of wood, metal over the window, that their parent, their father, is with them and for them. And so Elijah had to see this, 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 this rest, this place of rest in knowing, Elijah, I'm with you and I'm for you. A remarkable story that God reveals things on different levels to us. Let's go through this and let's, uh, let's, let's look at some of these verses. So Ahab comes back, verse 1, Ahab comes back to Jezebel. Now, those of you that know your Bible will know that Jezebel, not a good woman. Sorry, ladies, but Jezebel, yeah, notorious for being quite, uh, quite an evil woman who had a heart that was very cold towards the God of Israel, had killed the prophets of God and was out to kill Elijah as well. And Ahab comes back and says to her, oh, um, he's, and how Elijah had executed the prophets. Now, what I'm particularly curious about is how does Elijah come back and tell her? Does he say, he's killed the prophets? What does this mean for me, God? What does this mean for my faith? Or does he say, he's killed the prophets and now what's going to happen to my kingdom? Uh, we don't know. We don't know how Elijah comes back and tells Jezebel, but Jezebel reacts. She reacts in her character and her nature. She is so deeply entrenched in her sin and her evil practices that she is mentioned again in Revelations in not a good way at all. She's mentioned again in a way to highlight just how bad she was. Not in a good place and her heart not in a good place as well. She responds to Ahab and she responds and she sends a message off to Elijah and says, you watch, the gods do to me and more so if by tomorrow you're not also dead. <laughs> you know, when you, when you have determination, listen, this is, this is a principle of life. When you have determination, stubbornness and anger in your heart, not a good combination. Not a good combination. If you act from a place of stubbornness or determination and anger, you can guarantee something bad's going to happen. And she was infuriated. She became furious at this idea that Elijah had killed the prophets of Baal and she was determined to assassinate, to kill, to execute him, to make sure that his life was dead within 24 hours. But she had a problem. She had a problem bigger than Elijah. She had God to contend with. She had God as her, as her judge ultimately. And she can do whatever she wants to do to the man of God, but she had God, she, she had God who she had to confront. And, and we're told later in the scriptures, we're told that Jezebel meets her judgment. And she is actually killed later on. She's actually killed and in a way to reference how evil she was, she's eaten up by the dogs. She's not even buried. Sorry, spoiler alert. Later on. But here, she says enough. Listen, she says enough to frighten Elijah. So he runs away. He flees. He finds that all he can do is to get out of there. And in verse 3, what he does, the Bible says, and when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life 
and went to Beersheba and he just left his servant there and then he kept going. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the broom tree and prayed that he might die. And he said, it's enough now, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Wow. Elijah found himself in his deep, depressive hole. Situational, perhaps you could say, but deep, depressive hole. Life. The other day is on top of the world, feeling great about the victory at Mount, Mount Carmel. Today, he wants his life to end. This is an unusual this can be very normal for many people. But God is still out to get them. God is still out there to bring about a hope and a help that is beyond their ability to see at that time. And the Bible uses the Old Testament and, and many experiences of men and women in the Bible to somehow relay to us what life experiences are really like. In fact, this story isn't to make us complacent, I don't believe. The, Bible, the stories of the Old Testament, when you read about Elijah and you read about David and what he did and, and you read these stories, they're, they're not stories to make us complacent, as if to say, see, that's Elijah, leave me alone. I'm just going to go on and do what I want to do and feel how I want to feel. That's not the spirit of the Old Testament. That's not the spirit of God's word. Not to make us feel complacent but it's to comfort us. It's to comfort us to say to us, these are real experiences and real emotions that everyone who is real will experience from time to time. But they're also to confront us because God determines to bring us to a place to equip us to continue with the purpose he has for us on this earth and in this life. And he does it here. And many examples in the Old Testament are there for us as our examples. The Bible says in um, 1 Corinthians, it says, uh, now all these things happen to them as examples. It's talking about those in the wilderness. They, they happen to them as our examples and they were written for our admonition. Yeah, like there's an instruction and a warning in them upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So these stories tell us, teach us, instruct us, warn us, help us so that we can be in a place where God wants us to be, that we can see the revelation of God that he is with us and for us, that he may help us and bring hope back into the situation that we are equipped with the purpose that God has for us in this life. This is the will of God for his people. And I love the fact that God is real in what he's saying in this story. But Elijah's feeling really flat. He's feeling really down. And he goes to sleep. Verse 5. And as he lay and he slept under the broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said, Arise and eat. Oh, interesting now. Let's look at verse 6. And looked, and there was a cake baked on coals in the, in the jar of water. So he ate and lay down again. And then a second time it happened. Arise, because the journey, verse 7, is too great for you. Does it ring a bell? Those of you who have been following the story of Elijah, does this ring a bell for you? Does it remind you of something God did early when the drought started? 
Had God fed Elijah with ravens and by the brook he drank water? And then he used the widow to give him water? It's like God's reminding Elijah, listen, Elijah, have I ever left you? Remember, remember what I did for you? And now he awakes him not to say, what are you doing here? How come you're here? Go back. Now he awakes him. And it's like the first thing he does for him is gently comfort him. Hey, eat. He wants to draw his heart. He wants to remind him of his goodness, his provision, his ability. He's able to, that he's for him. Elijah, get up, eat. And then God knew where Elijah was going. And he said the second time, eat this food, eat this food, because the journey is too great for you. God knew what was going on in Elijah's heart. He knew Elijah had his mind set on Horeb. Why Horeb? Because Horeb was a place where, Mount Horeb was a place where lots of amazing things happened with God and his people. It's where the covenant was given. It's where the commandments were given. It's where Moses met God at the burning bush. These amazing stories that Elijah would have been familiar with. And maybe then Elijah's heart is thinking, if I can just go there, I can get things settled. It's like, that's where God is. Maybe that's what was going on in Elijah's heart. 40 days and 40 nights. And the angel says, eat, eat, because the journey is great for you. How, how amazing the gift of God. How amazing the provisions of God. How amazing when God speaks into your heart and says, remember. Remember? Do you remember when I spoke to you this way? Do you remember when I, when I worked in your life in this way? Do you remember how I was for you in this situation? Do you remember how I was with you in that situation? I haven't left you. And so Elijah eats, verse 8. He arose and ate and drank. Um, 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain, the mountain of, of, of God. By this stage, Elijah's feeling a few things. He's feeling afraid. He's feeling hopeless. And he's feeling alone. I don't know about you, but they're very, very common emotions to experience. When's the last time that you felt fear? I'm not talking little fear. I'm not talking like you're going for a walk and a stray dog is coming towards you. I mean, that can be scary. But I'm not talking little fears. I'm talking fears when you feel like your world is crumbling around you. When's the last time you felt that? Did it make you want to run? When's the last time you felt a sense of hopelessness? Like you honestly, in all the searching in your heart, you just found there is no way you can see out. Did you feel like running? Or when you felt a sense of being alone and it just was absolutely disgusting, it was ugly. You just hated it because you felt this real sense of being on your own. This is his experience. And in doing so, he, he's trying to make, perhaps make sense of it. So I've got to go to Horeb. I've got to go to Mount Horeb. And God's seeing in his heart, I think, this desire perhaps to make sense of it is working in his life because for those who seek him, listen, for those who seek him, again, God is out to get you. Verse 9. 
And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> what are you doing here, Elijah? The word of the Lord came. Now remember, this is a very important verse. Because the Bible says the word of the Lord came to him. The angels first came, if that wasn't enough. And now the word of the Lord came to him. This is God now speaking. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, can you imagine if Elijah wasn't honest? You imagine he got embarrassed and thought, oh, no, I feel depressed. Uh, I feel fearful. I feel hopeless. I feel lonely. You know what I'm going to say? Uh, okay, God, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just hanging out by the cave. Imagine if, if he wasn't honest. I'm fine, thanks, God, you know, just, uh, just chilling and praying for a bit. Imagine if he wasn't honest with God. <laughs> imagine if we're trying to hide things from God. Imagine if we're trying, we're trying to cover, sugarcoat the things that are going through our lives rather than come before God and tell God as it is. It's like when someone says to you, how are you going? You say, yeah, good, thanks, and you're not good. The deep in your heart, you, you, there's stuff going on that is tormenting you. Now, I'm not saying every time someone asks you how you're going, you need to pour out your heart to them. That's socially not acceptable <laughs> to every time someone asks you. But there's got to be a time. There's got to be a time when you can speak to the right person and pour out what is going on in your heart if that's your experience because that is part of you being free. And for you choosing to be dishonest is going to continue to bind you and captivate you. Or, or sorry, capture you. And so God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? And rather than cover it, he tells him. He tells him. Verse 10. I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I am alone and left and they seek to take my life. I'm alone, God. And they want to kill me. And I believe God looked at Elijah then and thought the man's not ready. The man still believes what he's seen, his emotions, what's going on for him, rather than what I want to say to him. He's not ready. And, yeah, there's something powerful about emotions, that sometimes our emotions are wonderful in telling us the truth about ourselves. Sometimes they are incredibly honest and true truthful you know that but sometimes they are the biggest liars in the world sometimes they are full of lies and you need to discern what is going on are they normal experiences of life that we all go through not sinful just what we feel and experience from time to time or are they telling you something that is lying to you about God and what he can do for you. Because this is what the Spirit of God says to you. The Spirit of God says this, in your situation, I want to bring hope. I want to bring help. I want to restore. I want to transform. I want to equip you. And I want to set you on the purpose I have for you in life. But sometimes your emotions will lie. They'll lie. They'll whisper things like there is no hope. There is no help. Restoration, forget that. Transformation, you're too far gone. Purpose, <laughs> forget purpose. 
But the truth of God, the spirit of God, is a spirit of life and restoration. And this is what God is doing. God is working. So now he does something miraculously to Elijah so he can remind him of something far greater than all the miracles Elijah has seen. And it's this, that I'm with you, Elijah, and I'm for you. So verse 11, go out and stand. Remember, this is still God speaking, yeah? This is God. So it's not like, it's not like Elijah can say, where's God? Where's God? God is speaking to him. God is speaking to him. Verse 11, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. Massive catastrophe. You had rocks breaking on the cliff face and these things happen because this strong wind comes past. And remember, God is there and and the Bible says that um, uh, the Lord passed by, the Lord passed by, so there's no doubt that God is present but he's not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, the the ground starts to rumble and shake. Enough, I think, to show and witness this is is beyond just um, a coincidence. This is is God working, but he's not in the earthquake. What's he doing? God's showing miracles to Elijah. God's showing his power. God's showing his strength. God's showing what he can do in a moment. But he's not quite there. He's not in that earthquake either. And then there's fire. There's fire that God allows for Elijah to see. I would imagine it would be miraculous fire. But he's not in the fire. Again, all these things that God can demonstrate to us. And yet, somehow, God is found in that gentle, still voice. Like God is whispering, if you like, I'm with you and I'm for you. That's the choice we have to believe. That's what the devil is going to want to rob you of. It's like Jesus hung on the cross. And what is more powerful to your hearts, beloved? Listen, when he said, it is finished, gasping for breath, no strength at all, it is finished, or when, the, when the, the graves opened up and people got up and walked around. That's not what convinces us, that miracle of the graves opening up, but the whisper of Jesus, it is finished. There is something. You know, when you try and rest, you don't lay down and rest and there's all this noise going around you. There's, there's big sounds going on around you and there's, there's aeroplanes above you. You can't find rest in that. But when you come to a place of quietness and you begin to rest and rest, this is, what Jesus, this is what God is trying to say to Elijah. Elijah, listen, stop. It's greater than all these things. Stop. Rest in knowing I'm with you and I'm for you. You have to believe me, Elijah. You have to believe me. And so when Elijah heard it, he wraps his face with his mantle. There's a beautiful verse in Isaiah that says this. You are my witnesses, says the Lord. Isaiah 43. And my servant whom I have chosen, you're my witnesses, he says. And you are my servant. Listen, why? That you may know and believe me. Wow. God is reaching out to his people and saying, listen, you're my chosen ones. And as my chosen one, I want you to do two things. I want you to know me and I want you to believe me. 
because this world doesn't believe me. Yes, they might acknowledge me. They might acknowledge that God has healed that person, has done this work, has done this miracle. But do they believe me? Are they robbed of belief? Are they robbed of the knowledge that God is with them and for them? And that no matter the circumstances around them, there is a rest and a peace in knowing this. So verse 12 or verse 13 when it, when, it, when it so it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And that's what's interesting. In this verse and the next verse, same question, same response. But this time, I believe, this time said with a different faith. And that's why we can sometimes have situations in life where we start our experience speaking things in a way that has no faith and God working in our lives to come to a place of faith. And Elijah answers him exactly the same thing. The words are identical, but this time I believe in a place of faith. And God says, now, now he's ready. Now he's ready. And so we see in verse, um, uh, we see in verse 14, uh, sorry, and he repeats himself in verse 14, verse 15. And then he said, and the Lord said to him, go, because now's the time. I've equipped you. I've enabled you. I've prepared you now. Go, he says. Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. And he goes on and explains what he needs to do. And later, later he also speaks to Ahab face to face and deals what he has to deal with with Ahab as well. All along, all along, Elijah is running and God is seeking. God is out to get him. All along, Elijah falls into this hole of depression. God comes to lift him up and restore hope and help into his life. And as God is doing this, God is not only revealing himself in great things because these great things can come and go, but in the simple faith, conviction and peace that he is with him and he is for him. Brothers and sisters, you have to believe this. You have to believe this. Your circumstances may tell you something else. Your experiences may suggest something else. Life may, it may, may tell you something else. Your emotions may tell you something else. But you need to hold on. You need to believe that as a child of God, that he is with you and that he's for you. This becomes your strength. This becomes your ability to go on equipped for the purpose that God has for you. God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And I pray this morning that you may go and as you seek his face, know him for who he is. Just like Elijah experienced face-to-face with great intimacy, the very presence and the confidence that God was for him. Let me pray for us this morning. Let me pray and ask the Lord to, to... Place this faith deep, deep into your hearts and find rest and confidence in knowing this about your great God. Let's pray. Our loving Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your word and your truth. Lord, you know our experiences in life and I pray that you continue to reveal to us more and more the greatness of your love, the greatness of your power, and the greatness of your presence. 
Lord, we know that what this does to us, Lord, it does, it does comfort it, but it also confronts us, Lord. And I pray that in Jesus' name, that you would do what it needs to be done to establish this faith in us. Thank you. Thank you that you're out to get us. Thank you that you love us dearly. And thank you that you want our full restoration. We pray your blessing upon the church. We pray your blessing upon our week, all that is said and done. We pray your grace be upon us and make your face to shine upon us. In Jesus' name. Amen.